Welcome to Last on the Breaks, the MotoGP podcast, coming at you in 2020 a little bit different, by which we mean, I think it's safe to say, bigger and better. Bigger and better, yeah, um, pretty obvious, given that you're probably watching this on video or listening to this on basically any podcasting platform there is out there. Yeah, last year, we were exclusive to one platform. This year, we're everywhere. Sorry about that. You have to put up with our faces, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there will be uh, Last in the Breaks. We're doing feature interviews. Uh, every recording them every Thursday of the GP with a brand new guest but they'll be released on a slightly different schedule but there should be podcasts including After the Flag every Monday throughout the season so how exciting and as you can probably see if you're watching this we have a very special guest today to kick off episode one in 2020 it's Randy Mamler Merch GP legend welcome aboard well, it's good to be here, Matt. Welcome aboard the Good Ship Podcast. <laughs> and this very, very posh room that we're in, in the Dawn Sports office in Barcelona. Um, this is, uh, we've got a bit of a ghetto setup with the mics there, lots of tape around to make sure everything's secure. So we've got I'm to make sure. what you mean. This is yeah. an entirely pro environment. No. <laughs> yeah, just, just be careful if you like cross your legs and whatnot. And it'll be fine. Uh, before we get underway, though, do have a little bit of admin to uh, and a little bit of a plug. Uh, the MotoGP Fantasy League, brand new for 2020. You uh, can find that on MotoGP gp.com go to that sign up your team get your mates involved i can't remember i don't know how much I don't, don't ask me the details about it but okay make ask sure you me the details it. about well, it how, what are the details it's great actually it's got us all quite excited and we have already started our own private within the have department you, i league. need to do this before, before <laughs> uh, basically it's like you know those kind of games are pretty prolific in different sports ours is you manage two teams gold team silver team with different riders in them and you score based on their real life grand prix performance and there's a few cool prizes up for grabs if you play in like the big overall league like a marcus signed helmet i think is one of them tso watch wow. maybe okay um but you can also do private leagues so if there's someone you really want to make the point that you're a much better fan than they are then you can challenge them in your own little uh have, have you got a name deal? for your team yet no what, yet. Uh, what randy if you had a fantasy league team what would your name be <laughs> Starting with as silly as you like. Memola, mamola. Well, I can't. I can't so actually I, repeat. Memola, I believe, as I like it. So. Yeah. Uh, can't like, actually repeat some of the names of obviously some of our friends who've already signed up. Some of them are a bit uh, not safe for podcasts. Uh, well, maybe they are depends on the platform. But uh, I think we should probably kick it off, uh, shall we? we with uh, actually interviewing Randy. I haven't got you for too long. Uh, but Randy, first thing I want to ask you because it's a very, been a very busy off season for you. In amongst all your holidaying, you've been a full time. Instagram influencer. Um, <laughs> tell me about you that. You can tell which one of us decided on this question. L- can't listen, you? listen, listen. <laughs> I think the funny part about the Instagram uh, official Randy Momola Instagram was my daughter started it oh, with, yeah? without me knowing. Oh, really? So <laughs> Even better. <laughs> if you take a look at the very first video where I'm dancing in a tuxedo, yeah. uh, that was at the Goodwood Festival of Speed uh, last year in July. And uh, what was funny about that is the very next Grand Prix was, I think, two two and a half weeks or three weeks away, uh, which was flying to Bruno. So as I was getting on the plane, as I do in here in Barcelona to fly to Vienna, there's a lot of people that could be from Dorna or the press and so on. And as I'm walking in the plane, they said, man, great dancing. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I mean, I haven't seen them for, for three weeks. So what are you talking about? Your Instagram. I don't have an Instagram. Maybe somebody put it up on there. No, you have one. So, oh, okay. so I went on, I went home and my da- lovely daughter 
Uh, she's the one that typed it out and she didn't even give me the password, nothing. And she just said, you know, what a way to start your first uh, Instagram. Semi-viral amongst yes. the and whatnot. So it's, it's been growing a lot, except for the fact that I still don't understand a lot of the mechanisms. For example, every once in a while, and maybe you can help me here, Matt, is um, when I'm putting <laughs> a story help. up yep. and then eventually I delete the story. The next morning, the story, that same story is still back up. Don't know, we'll have to go have a look through after the podcast. <laughs> I can't think of that off the top anyway, of my head. But. but I'm having fun with it. Yeah, and yeah. I tell you what, it, it's very unique, as you know. I love fans. I love interacting with the fans. And, you know, like what you're talking about, having the fantasy league and, mm. and so on, is, is to create things that they can be closer to us, of what we do in our exactly. sport, uh, the direction of our sport and so on, <laughs> yeah. which I think is so important. And, you know, my son and my daughter and my wife, they're always laughing because I'm, I'm conversating with people straight yeah. away <laughs> with it. And they're going, you know, this guy says, I really wish I could do a, you know, a, get a picture of you and so on and so forth. He sent a picture and I, I've got this new note, Samsung, that has a pin. And I just signed it right away and just sent it back. And oh, he really? just went, oh, wow. Now, please. Don't start sending a whole bunch of requests <laughs> and me signing, signing pictures. Uh, you can but find conversation, Randy Mamala. <laughs> yeah. Conversations, uh, 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 I love, and yeah, and sure. it's always it's you know you have the one that's against you or for you or in the middle, uh, and it's just unique to see. Yeah, official Randy Mamala and verified. Yes, seven thousand followers. Yeah, it's, not it's, bad. it's growing. It's pretty good. It's, it's growing. You're gonna be on TikTok anytime soon. I have no idea what TikTok is, I'll, I'll, <laughs> other than the fact that I see it in the right-hand corner. Yeah. And uh, and I know people are be able to do great things on it and so on and so forth. Listen, I'm telling you, I have so many ideas, but I just don't know how to get it across on, on there. Okay. You know? okay. I follow a few of the Formula One guys, and they're very creative. Jorge, as you know, Lorenzo, is just taking off in all directions. <laughs> Creative, is that the word? <laughs> Lorenzo's Instagram? No, I'm, not, I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but unleashed. Open. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But <laughs> again, it's it's something that draws you, to, you know, to the... Yeah, exactly. I, I feel a lot more connected to Jorge Lorenzo these days. Exactly. But that's also what the podcast is about. The yep. deep dive interview, because we want to know about the personalities. Exactly. Because we get a lot of camera time with a lot of our riders in the paddock. But it's usually about the same topics, obviously about track action, setup, whatever. With testing, it's about trying to back them into a corner and make Danilo Petrucci very uncomfortable by asking him a direct question about the ride height adjuster, you know. But we didn't get to see too much of the sort of, yeah, the people behind the yeah, the quite helmet. Right, quite right. So it is a lot of fun when you see it I, I, but on social media and the like. Yeah, the other thing that I'm very critical about is there's a lot, you know, Yamaha put something up or Dorna. Uh, our MotoGP uh, would put something up and if I put something positive for Valentino then other people might say why are you now praising Valentino when before you said these things and listen what I said before I meant whatever it was and what I'm saying now I, I mean as well and you know there, I don't think there's any of the 20 I would th believe there's 23 riders that are in the championship that I dislike all of them are very competitive and and uh, I can't wait to see this 2020 season start no it'll be absolutely phenomenal won't it but um, it will uh, well we can actually we'll talk about that a little bit later on but one burning question which we wanted to, to talk about with you is of course episode number one we've got a MotoGP legend on board that well, it wasn't last was it last year you made a legend it was year no, before year, year before, before you made a legend in Austin um, a lot of emotion in that press conference <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about that and that sort of experience for you so I'm, I'm an emotional guy uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, even after the, th after the fact, 
when I saw it, you know, I, I, I said to myself, why did you break down so, so much? And I, I guess it's my passion that lives within me. Uh, it probably comes from my mother's side uh, of that, my hardheadedness from my dad. But um, I, I don't know. It was just being accepted to uh, a, a long road and long journey from when I was 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm 60 now, so it was 58 when, when I was getting the, the award of being a legend. And to be in the group of people uh, that are the legends before me and the ones that are going to come uh, really made me feel something warm, special, and um, very, very much gratitude. Awesome. So, and I still say, I, I promise you, I look up the word in definitions still today going, man, I don't know if I fit in any of that <laughs> because it's, it's a word that's so big and it can be held as big and so on. And I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's still very new to me when somebody says legend and so on. But it's also a huge compliment. Huge. Well, that's good. And it's got you in our car park today. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But listen, from, from, from my house in CHS, it took me 25 minutes to get here. And I was driving around 20 minutes just to look for parking. Yes. Yeah, so I finally cool. messaged you. And uh, yeah, yeah we, sh we should have really just reserved your space beforehand, shouldn't we? Um, <laughs> that you were coming, but you it's know, okay. uh, I'm just a mid presenter, not a coordinator. <laughs> um, okay. Cool. So let's go back then. Obviously, MotoGP legend, like we said, emotional. Let's go back to your career then. And what does it take to beat the best? Because that's certainly what you did many, many a time. In doing so yourself became one of them as well. But talk us through that. And when you sort of got to the height of your career, how, what does it take to really be at that level? So uh, I think the dedication, which was not really dedication, it was <clears throat> more of, a fantasy hobby it was being able to ride a motorcycle at 12 years old every day with my father my father didn't ride but he took me after work to go and ride in a, this field by our house in san jose airport uh, which is still over there in san jose where we still have the house and um you know to win trophies to be a kid uh whether you in any sort of sport man you see the kids that have the little shelf in their bedroom with trophies <laughs> and you know that just started to grow you know very much so and uh, you know, at being at 14 and f at 14, I signed a contract with Yamaha USA and that's where I got the yellow leathers, the leather suit, because I was a protege of Kenny Roberts. Uh, my old manager, Jim Doyle was the manager of Kenny Roberts and, uh, you know, he got me this ride. So that got me into road racing. So speeding forward, obviously I went to New Zealand, did some racing in New Zealand, which got notoriety in Europe. Europe said, come you know, you need to get over here. But I was too young. And there's some photos on my Instagram of me at Imola uh, at 17 years old back in 1977 where they wouldn't let me race. Uh, but I did a few demonstration laps and was super fast, would have been on the front row of the, it was a 200 mile, but they had a 250 support class there. Uh, 200 mile Daytona, 200 mile Imola, 200 mile uh, Paul Ricard. So moving things forward, uh, in that era, and I can talk about Wayne Rainey. I can talk about Kenny. I can talk about Eddie Lawson, Jeff Ward, who went to Supercross eventually, but was a dirt tracker. We were all hot shoes, dirt trackers. And we came from that, that era. We were coming from different districts. I was Northern California. They were Southern California. But the variety of motorcycles that we rode. 
And this is why I believe the euphoria of Americans when we came over, when Stevie Baker was the first one, Pat Hennon was the first American to win uh, a Grand Prix for, in, uh, for an American. Um, but that was the start of something very big. And then the Europeans just said, you know, how can you guys be so fast, whether it's in the rain or learning tracks and so on. And it was just a different degree of what we did in dirt track. And d dirt track wasn't just ovals. It was TT courses and training with motocross and so on. And when you look at what's happening today in today's world of, of racing, this is exactly what we were doing. Same format. Your hot shoes, for, is that for, the nickname? Yeah, uh, hot shoe. Yeah. Amazing. I don't know yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you had any any eckling of, of, of the steel shoe when it was being made, mm. um, the, the, the pictures and the stickers that they had for uh, us being made were, were really, really cool. So... You know, now now we get over to Europe and, you know, I'm dealing with Kenny, who was, um, he was my idol and he's, Kenny's seven years older than me. So Kenny's here and it's 1979. I, I rock in. I'm just a kid. I'm riding a 250 and a 350 at the beginning of the year. Uh, that switches to a 250 and a 500. Uh, I get my first podium on the 500. I had couple podiums with the 250 and I was running second at that time in the 250 class in the championship my very first season uh and um uh yeah racing with Barry Sheen Kenny at Le Mans which was the last race of the season I finished second Barry was just in front of me and Kenny was just behind me and I was just kid and I'm telling you it was it was kind of more like a euphoria mm. as opposed to I'm good and I need to be here and so on. It was just... It's more just like, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> because I'm a kid and I, and I still am anyway. But uh, it was the ded dedication and the, and the work that you had to do. And I will say at the beginning of those years, you know, tire degradation and things like this were was a very abundant and motorcycle failures and things like this were... And so, yes, although we trained, it was dirt track and doing things on the off season. Um, it's not what it's like today uh, to be a MotoGP rider, which we'll get into, I know, towards, <laughs> towards the end. Uh, and the dedication and, and knowing. So when we started competing, you know, even when Freddie Spencer came and he won the titles uh, in, in, in 83. And in 83, it was four Americans, one, two, three, four. And he finished fourth in the championship. Um, we all knew each other. We all knew each other ins and outs. And we knew that that was a competition uh, at, at every race. Uh, and uh, it was just very unique, unique times. And of course, we had the Uncinis and we had the uh, Marco Lucanelli and these, these other riders that were in the championship, um, uh, the Pons group, um, Christian Cerrone, you know, these guys that were hot shoes, on, especially on their own tracks that you had to, 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 to learn with. So I think just growing up in that atmosphere. And one of the things that I think helped the Australians, the Americans coming to Europe is that you have to think about it. We didn't have satellite TV. Nobody had mobile phones, things like this. When we were there, we were there to do a job. And where the Europeans would go home, party and do their own thing <laughs> in between, we were, although camping or doing something, fishing or running or training or something like that, it was more that we're here to do a, a specific job. And none of us can really read the newspapers unless it was Motorcycle News. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> MCN. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. So. Because, uh, yeah, because when we've uh, we spoken previously, you uh, I remember we've recorded previous segments for last year's uh, season of the podcast, and you said uh, basically you guys came in and you ruined the sport. 
by making it a job and professional and stuff. Yeah, that's sort of true, isn't it? What do you mean? You well, you turn a professional with the training, everything you mentioned. Those guys going back right. to Europe and partying and stuff like that. You guys would think, right? We we'll turn this to a proper professional sport. We're training. We're doing all the different types of riding, getting all the skills that we need. But taking on the Europeans, it comes, but it comes with with the the, the sport in itself. Um, as it becomes more and more professional, more and more popular, uh, the the equipment that the riders are racing on uh, becomes uh, incredibly uh, indestructible. Uh, which, uh, you know, is very true. The tire manufacturers that are in this championship, Michelin uh, at the moment now, creating a tire that tries to fit across everybody. Don't forget, we had competition. Uh, you know, I've been on a podium with three different tire manufacturers, Michelin, Pirelli, and uh, Dunlop. Uh, so, uh, you know, that just doesn't happen anymore uh, in, in, in Grand Prix racing. So, again, there was always something to be able to adapt to that we adapted, you know, quite, quite well. And uh, moving on to like what it takes now, how has uh, how has it changed what it takes to beat the best? It's just sort of an exaggerated sort of minor gains every year sort of approach, I guess, when in terms of the riders' preparation side. Well, I'll tell you, the first person that I think really started pushing limits was Wayne Rainey, and it was because of McDoin when McDoin came over, and it was the training side of things. Um, and... Uh, then as we went to four-stroke racing, as you know, we didn't have very many breakdowns. There were odds and ends. But the bikes that we raced, the motorcycles that we raced, whether it was, for me, Honda Kajiva, uh, Suzuki, uh, or Yamaha, some of our bikes were 120, 125 kilo. You know, now we're at 160 kilo. To push a motorcycle at 160 kilo at 355 kilometers per hour is what they did at Qatar this past weekend, uh, is... Um, it takes a really strong uh, person and will to get that done. And as well as try to relax on the bike to save that energy mm -hmm. for the whole race. So it is a completely different type of animal uh, uh, when, when it comes to that. Uh, but at the end of the day, what we rode uh, and what they're riding now, it's not easy either way. Well, no, it's definitely not easy either way. So let's talk about, the best you can certainly quite easily argue most people would say is currently mark marquez with his incredible run in the championship obviously beaten once since he moved up to the premier class what is it like for you watching mark what do you see in mark on track first of all from a kind of rider's perspective or a competitor is it is there a word spectacularism? <laughs> because if it's not, we I'm making it. I'm, I'm, it yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm making it as, as it goes along. Uh, listen, I saw Mark riding a 250 uh, motocross bike set up with his father for uh, Super Motard when he was like 11 or 12 years old. I mean, again, you know, he was the size of my pinky and the bike was bigger than two hands, you know, and, but you know, that's where he came from. And it's the same kind of background again, that you're, mm -hmm. that we talked, I just talked about with Eddie Lawson and everybody doing the dirt track stuff. So one of the unique things is, you know, Mark is been, has been able to just get everything there is and more out of the motorcycles that he's been able to ride. And he has these, and I've said it before with Casey Stoner, because the, for me, they have cat-like features. I'm not really a cat person, but I know that cats, man, you turn them upside down and drop them, they get back on their feet, they're really quick, and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. And it just seems like, you know, Mark has that kind of 
um, aptitude uh, with everything that he does. And, and it's not luck anymore when it goes to, to yeah. saving those things. I mean, obviously, uh, in certain corners and certain things that, uh, that happen, uh, it, it is a, a bit of luck. But Mark takes this 260 uh, or 160 kilo uh, motorcycle and turns it into a super motor. And when you watch guys ride a bike that's only 120 kilo or 100 kilo or 80 kilo mm-hmm. or whatever uh, on a super Mozart, Mozart track, you'd see exactly what Mark's doing, yeah. how, he's, how he's sliding it and so on. I remember uh, seeing a video when Joanne Mir was moving up to MotoGP and he was training uh, around in Mallorca and he was on a super Mozart bike. And he was just basically trying to crash the thing and save it. Like his whole video. <laughs> it, was, it was a couple of years ago and he just was backing it into these corners, basically lying down. And then trying to pick it back up again as he went on. And it was just, okay, this is the new wave. Absolutely. And, and, and the generations that come, this is what happens. You know, the new younger riders, you know, just get on a bike and they, they adjust. Especially to the geometries and the things that the manufacturers are able to make because of the riders before. And technology just hands that, hands that to them. But it's, it's up to the rider to be able to take it to that, that next level. Have you um, seen the Davizioso documentary? I have recorded, not. Uh, the undaunted one. No, I it's, have uh, just come out. I recommend it because the point I wanted to bring up about it was it very much comes across as an hour-long feature on his uh, season last year. And you just sort of, it's it sort of painted in a way where it feels like Marcus has just got this ridiculous talent. Everything you just mentioned, the cat life features, just this... Un- unbelievable determination. And I thought you were going to say it's just undaunted. I was yeah. like, no, wrong no, no, one. don't say that. Wrong for <laughs> which one? Um, but Dovi is sort of using every kind of technology and method he possibly can to try and tackle Mark's, should we say, raw grit to put it in an umbrella term. And it was just really fascinating to have the times where he's um, the it opens in the first ten minutes, and he's even using a psychologist, and he's watching the race. And every time he has a thought where he's not focused on the race, the screen goes blank, and you just watch it go blank, blank, blank. And he's just it's learning how to remain one hundred percent focused. And it's just sort of, I mean, I can't imagine you guys would have ever done something like that back in the day. I don't know why he looked at me there. No, no, no. <laughs> I, when I like, saw your hand go up, I was like, is she putting a hand up? No, sorry, it was the fringe problems. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I saw some some interviews, um, uh, you know, of Dovi and other riders, you know, talking about Mark. And, and you know, Cal Crutchlow is one of the guys that tests a lot of the bikes and so on. You know, he just says, you have to always take Mark out of the equation because he just, <laughs> he rides anything and, and, and how he approaches it and, and so on and so forth. But it's very... Um, very interesting to 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 see and and to watch and and to understand and Dovi to be finishing second in the last couple of years, um, you know, behind Mark. What do they got to do to 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 beat this guy? Uh, because it's weekend and week out. One of the things that we've seen with other riders is usually when you're pressured, uh, you they can make errors, and uh, you know Mark was under a lot of pressure in 2018 to win. And what I'm getting at is, is the Ducati was so fast in a straight line um, that Dovi knew that he would have a, a chance of staying with that Marquez down the straight and, and pass or make maneuvers and so on. But when Honda stepped up in 2019 and gave Mark similar speed with his, their engine, that reduced the pressure on Mark. Uh, to have to go in so deep into the corners. And I think there were a lot less, uh, you know, accidents and or 
things that had happened. Um, you know, those that's the, always the thing. But, you know, they're all out there. Uh, as you know, they just finished testing. The testing's over. And we're going to go to Qatar in, a, in, in two weeks' time. And we're going to see where this all ends up. Yeah. And, um, uh, but they all have their issues. They all have troubles. Uh, it's just he who handles them the best. And um, you, you, have to, you have to have that. So quick side note about the season ahead then. It would appear from testing so far that Ducati may have just gained back that top speed edge a little bit on the, on the paddock. Do you think that could add an extra interesting dimension? Obviously, we've seen a little bit of drama at Honda, uh, mainly in Qatar and Sepang. It was just, well, you know, got a rookie, two guys are injured, and then Crutchlow doing most of the work, the testing. Um, but Qatar, definitely on the first couple of days, it's like, oh, a bit of a... Bit of an interesting frisson of uh, worry seemed to be coming out of that garage. And Ducati, few different concerns for them, but certainly straight lines being Jack Miller just said it's unreal. What puzzles me is is Qatar, I mean, Sepang, Ducati, and uh, then Qatar, uh, Qatar, Ducati. It hasn't really out, been outstanding. You know, it, you know, Dobie hasn't ripped up the pavement and, and moved forward. <laughs> but what's been very... Interesting is watching Bagnaya at times being fast, Ducati. Also, um, uh, Jack. Jack Miller. Uh, <laughs> Jack, Zarco, uh, who's just getting on the bike. So we know that the Ducati is working with different riding styles. It's whether or not that riding style can take it to the very top. Yeah. And then we see, obviously, a cluster of Yamahas and the two Suzukis. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just wish we hadn't. Four Suzuki's out there um, because they're. <laughs> I, th- I they're... think Davide Brivia would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I don't read too much into that because we all know what's going to ha- happen coming towards that that weekend. It's whether or not how simplified they've all made it to be able to make the race runs, mm-hmm. and each individual how how much they feel. If you look back at last year's race, you remember who crossed the line, right? I do. At, you know, drafting, and and same uh, as the year before. Yeah. And they'll be past him. But you know who was 0.6 behind in fifth place? 0.6 behind. Valentino? Valentino. On a Yamaha. So here's a guy that's 40 years old at the time, uh, finishing in fifth, 0.6 off. This is the kind of race we're going to be up up for. This this this, this this is the right gesture. And so so the issues that we've seen with Ducati and the, the discussions that we're always hearing, the bike doesn't turn enough and so on, I haven't heard any more clarification no. if it's if it's worked better all i see is that jack miller's fast sometimes in fourth place but only 0.1 or 0.2 and it's that 0.1 or 0.2 of consistency that ends up being five or six seconds at the end of a race um so i'm i'm really excited to see you know how that how that all plays out something you wanted to ask you about so on on the subject of how everyone's developed their bikes and whatnot throwing it back to your career was um how it feels to ride on less competitive machinery when you're doing, or should we say for you, in your case, when you're doing a development job, when you're at Kajiva in the sort of twilight years of your career, what is it like being ultra competitive and then one year your bike's less competitive, you're not able to get the results that you're used to. How do you get your head around that motivation and all that jazz? Uh, for me, it's almost like playing golf. Uh, I don't know if you ever played golf. And, and the reason why actually, I'm going to say yeah. that, I'm gonna, the reason why I'm going to say that is because you can be on the hardest hole on the golf course mm. and par it. And you can be on the easiest 
hole in the golf course and do a triple bogey, which is three <laughs> three shots over. You know, that's that's yeah. golf. With with racing, you know, especially when I got on the Kajiva, I'd already raced for the Suzuki as a factory, Honda and and Yamaha, and again with a, another manufacturer such as Kajiva, top speed is what we were down. So I just had to wait for circuits that were favorable for for my riding style and or I, it didn't need speed and i'd have to be grateful for that you know i remember one specifically i think i finished fifth and mcdoin was just in front of me on the on the honda i mean literally length of this table so for me that was a huge um success hmm. um to to have that bike doing that and then you know i gave them their first very first podium and so on but it's about being st strong and being uh, as to being fast, you know, Alex Barros was my teammate the first year, and I'd come off of Yamaha. I was second in the world championship, uh, third in the world championship in '86, and then '87 uh, backed it up with a second. And uh, when Wayne Gardner won, go to Kajiva, and when I went there, I, and Barros was so fast. He was just this new young kid. I think he was 18, 19, or 20, or something like that. And I told Kajiva, "You got to let him go. You've got to let him get onto a bike." That has something because uh, he's so fast. Very noble. Yeah. No, no, it was. It was. He was. He was incredibly. Don't think, incredibly don't think any of the current crop would have that sort of recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> so, keep in there. So the, the, the unique, the unique thing is also is through my career and looking at at the things. Although that I never won a title, and but I always felt that I feel that I have in in a in a indirect way. I just never got the top points because when I came into the championship and I f faced Kenny uh, face to face when I was racing for Suzuki in 1980, it went down to the last race and uh, my bike broke. Uh, I finished fifth in the race. Kenny finished fourth, but I had to win the race and it was in the old Nürburgring uh, and I was leading it by five or six seconds and something happened to the bike. So I lost the title uh, or I didn't gain the title, but the very next year, I beat Kenny. Kenny was third. Uh, he was, you know, already three times world champion. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Lucanelli beat me. So, uh, how, however, and, you know, Lucanelli won one title. And, you know, I kept going forward and jumping on different bikes and kind of replicating the same thing, you know, finishing second or third, uh, you know, gaining some medals, but never that number one spot. And then getting to it, and I really praise Eddie Lawson because he's kind of this silent <clears throat> rider. He was so quiet, didn't want to do the press, kept to himself. I knew him very well because we were dirt tracking together um, and water skiing and all that kind of stuff. But when it came down to the last year that I raced with Yamaha, uh, we were to try to be the number one Yamaha team because it was Agostini with Philip Morris, Marlboro, and it was Kenny Roberts' team with Lucky Strike. And, uh, you know, I did the job that we, we did. I beat Eddie. Uh, right down to it. And he was already three times world champion mm. uh, again. So for me, all those things is I've beaten all those champions, Gardner, doing in races, head to heads and so on. It just didn't work out. And walking away from that, um, I, I, which I've never done, I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> I, I, I've never really had a chance to say I'm, I'm leaving, but because um, uh, I'm not. Uh, it's my sport. I love this sport and, and what I do. And um, I'll have my own uh, theories on specific things and what happens and so on. That's and, why you're here. That's why we're asking. And, <laughs> but I think that it would be something 
It's one thing about doing podcasts. Uh, I love doing television. I'd love to be back involved somehow uh, with it. Uh, I'm, I'll be at the races this year. I look forward to the fans, uh, mixing with the fans. Uh, again, he who follows me, I'll try to answer as much as I, I can on, on my own Instagram. But please don't spam. Yeah. <laughs> can't sign autographs all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But, um, you know, yeah, so. You, you must feel then, almost psychologically, it sounds like you don't have too many unanswered questions. Do you feel pretty zen about it? Although you maybe didn't get the title that I, you would have set out to get. I am one of the most accomplished r racers racing a Grand Prix bike. Well, and that's why, why you're why a I'm, legend, you see. Why I'm, <laughs> why I'm saying that is the diversity that I had. I didn't ride just one bike. I didn't ride just one tire. I didn't ride. And then when Kenny, you know, for all the fans that or, or the people that sit behind and think that Kenny fired me for some specific reason, it was a business side of things that we didn't get along with on that one uh, subject. And, you know, he decided not to take me and I, I went to Kajiva. But uh, I think Kenny came around. Uh, we are still great friends, came around and asked me to come back because I was the test rider for Yamaha mm. and Dunlop when Wayne got injured. And um, uh, this is why I'm, I'm based myself out of Spain for most of these years, because uh, you have to be somewhere uh, close to Europe in order to go to the, all the Grand Prix. And we had the dirt track, the first dirt track out there, which is Rocco's Ranch now. It was Robert's yeah. before <laughs> and uh, and how this all started. It's so. right next to the uh, Circuit of Barcelona as well. Right, yeah. right. If so. you sit on the back part of the track and then there are people doing the... Uh anything two-wheeled pretty much you can just look over the back can't you yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite fun you know and the, and the first two-seat bike was created in villanova was in it? kenny's workshop oh, yes right. back in 1996 huh. so when you think about it and i, I wrote it one time <laughs> and then uh, yamaha came back to me and i think it was 99 or 2000 and then we did it with yamaha and obviously it's been with ducati this will be my 18th year with ducati uh and and philip morris have you enjoyed scaring a few people on that? <laughs> I try not to scare them, but that you know, it's it's that's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> the, the hardest thing is to give them a ride that makes them super excited, would like to come back so. without then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so that obviously opportunity of doing like the two seater and given the fact that you've never left the paddock despite stopping racing, I feel a lot of that's to do with your character, your personality, and and how. You, it seems though, looking back and looking through the history books, obviously being a bit younger, I did not witness it in person. Uh, you're one of the original showmen of the sport, it seems. And but I want to know about that from your perspective. Is that just how naturally how you are? Did you were you inspired by somebody from another sport? Because when did sort of showmanship come around in sport in that sort of aspect? You had you uh, man. I, I you you need another whole seg segment on on podcasting. We got time. Uh, <laughs> I, and the reason why I'm going to say that is. I don't know if you know, prior to motorcycling, I was a drummer. Mm. And uh, I was born in 1959. As you all know, I'm 60 years old. I was born in 1959, and the Beatles came to the United States early 60s, 62, 63, when I was four or five. And there was a television show, and you can look it up on YouTube, The Ed Sullivan Show. And anybody who was anybody, Hermits Hermits, the Rolling Stones, or whoever singer it was, they were on that show. And when the Beatles came, I just I just wanted to be one of them. I, I loved music and I still do to this day. Uh, and my parents um, bought me some a set of drums uh, for my eighth birthday. And believe it or not, my drum teacher uh, was the drummer for Tom Jones when Tom Jones had his, his own show in America. Huh? And my I had an opportunity to ride a, a Honda 50, a monkey bike, 
uh, when I was 11 and a half from a friend. And I fell in love, uh, like any kid, if you're able to, to ride. But my, my parents, my father was the only one that worked. Um, and my parents couldn't afford drum lessons and or a motorcycle and so on. So my mother actually did away with carpet for the house that particular year. <laughs> and uh, we still are the original owners of the house from 1950. Really? Uh, and uh, I, I gave up drumming. And the drum teacher was in tears. Really? Yeah, because oh. I could read music and play just almost anything. So with that showmanship, uh, I was part of a band already and doing things for my even my grade school and so on. Um, it gave me an insight of, of being an entertainer. And no matter what, how we look at it, a sporting is entertainment. And then... The rapport I, I always got with the fans. I love making people laugh or you know joking around. But Kenny and all of us Americans to, at, at that time did funny things all the time uh, in the paddocks. So it was always something about joking and, and so on. And then it was about throwing boots into the crowd or, or go sitting with the crowd and, and things like that. So I guess this is why also I've been called the people's champion uh, at times. And um, it's quite funny because when I'm at the Grand Prix or at special events, you see the fathers that are my age or a little bit younger or, or maybe even 30 years younger. And they were just growing right at the end of my career. They're telling, you should have seen this guy. You should have seen him ride. You should have seen, <laughs> you know, I, I did have a hair raising style. Uh, if you look at my style on the Honda, I had my left, my right foot or my left foot off the foot peg because the Honda seat was so wide. I rode how I needed to ride to, to, to ride bikes. The difference now is um, uh, engines were being created. Uh, Three-cylinder Honda was being created because it had a torquey engine. When Honda came in, that started e eating up the bikes that uh, we were riding on the older four-cylinders. So new four-cylinders had to be built into, from a square four Suzuki to a V4, <coughs> things like this. And those are the unique things that I could always talk about um, you know, through the learning s stages of what we were doing. You know, the first set of tire warmers, you know, first set of carbon brakes, yeah. you know, all these kind of things that kids are used to now, uh, <laughs> pretty much everywhere. Grew up on. Yes. Essentially. Essentially. Um, and with your, with the showmanship and everything you managed to do since, obviously ambassador for, well, co-founder, I think, of Riders for Health and which is now Two Wheels for Life. You met some pretty, probably more amazing people than actually a lot of uh like world champions in the sport have actually got to meet who uh who's sort of someone who you felt you were pretty starstruck by who you managed to meet uh you know it's quite quite funny to meet pe people like daniel day lewis and and you know keanu reeves who kind of is one of our friends now because he comes to so many races See him regularly you know <laughs> you know this guy but meeting princess anne mm -hmm. uh was something very special and then being invited <laughs> to the palace a couple of times for special events for people who do things for charities or and or our founders mm. for charities um, was something special. And it's really unique because don't forget, I come from a country that doesn't have a queen or a king. Um, and so therefore, I look at it completely different where you British sometimes really make so much fun about a parody about things and so on, which I understand because don't don't worry, we have a president where we're making a lot of parody about. But but in, but in saying that, to be invited to some place like that for me, it's a not so much a holy place, yeah. but it was something very pure. Yes. And and for me, yes, there's scandals in everything we see and do and politics and so on, but it was something very very special. And Princess Anne herself, 
is somebody who uh, really was very unique. Uh, when I decided to give money uh, back in mid eighties, uh, believe it or not. And uh, then she was the one who actually said to me, we'd like you to go to Africa to see where this money's being spent. Because mm -hmm. I was donating it at the time to save the children, mm -hmm. who she's the president of. And, uh, you know, that just turned turned into things. So she actually come to a few races. And then to give um, uh, Prince Harry a ride on the two-seat bike at Donington. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah. So that that's amazing. another thing. I mean, I just can't believe. Did you, you know, scare him? <laughs> no, I tell you who was scared were the guys that were, how do you call the guys that look after them? Like the minders. The minders? Yeah. They, they were in a car behind us. They were in they a car. They weren't keeping up. Uh, no, no, no. They yeah. weren't keeping up, but they were in the BMW behind us. And it was all, you know, it was almost like one of those things, you drop them and I'll kill you. And there was, yeah. I'll tell you, there's, there, and the reason why I say you drop them and I kill you, because Stefano Domenicali, who was the head of Ferrari Formula One, said that to me. Just moments before I took Michael Schumacher around Mugello really? at the Grand Prix. So, and that, that was when Michael was battling uh, for the world championship in 2006 with Fernando Alonso, and Silverstone was that next week. Oh, so, my so, so, you know, these are the unique, <laughs> unique things. But I will say, everybody who comes with me on a two seat bike or with Franco on this bike comes off really appreciative of what riders do. Yeah, we have to adjust to every passenger that we have. It's the, one of the greatest tools, and it was Kenny's, in Kenny Roberts' mind to build that thing. And um, it's something that's so unique. Uh, we never try to scare anybody, as I said, uh, with the project. Um, I can't wait until we start it. We're going to do use it in Texas this year. It'll be the first time. Hey, I mean, I'm already cool. starting the racetrack because that's a long lap as, for a MotoGP bike. Two, hill. two minutes and yeah. two. Yeah, but the hill's not going to be much no. for us because we start and stop on the mm. on, on that's the start true. line. Yeah, you're not approaching you know? that from yeah. Uh, from so the I'm really looking it. forward to to having it in America uh, uh, again nice. since Laguna Seca disappeared on us, and and of course Indianapolis. Two seats around Laguna. Yeah. Did you do that? Yes, for many years. Oof. And that was always really fun because yeah. uh, Hollywood was just down the road. So a few guys would always come up and yeah, be able yeah. to get on the And bike. it's one of the most beautiful racetracks and places in the world. Yes, yes. And, um, <laughs> didn't, they, uh, didn't they put, I think Suzuki had Hopkins uh, up down Hollywood Boulevard or something, actually. Uh, I was on, we were, I was there as well, yeah. on, on, the, on the two-seater. Wow. Yeah, yeah. One of, the first, one of the first ones that we did was uh, right there on Hollywood, wow. right in front of the, the Chinese theater. Excellent. Yeah, with Dorna. It was many, awesome. Uh, many fans about. Yeah, of, of course. Of course. Yeah, you know, again, in America, there's so many things to do, mm. seems seems to be, and it <laughs> is so big. But Texas is always that place that they always see to come to because the town of Austin That's is wicked. Great. I love it. It is wicked. It is just proper for us to go in there and have a good time. And, and, and for anybody who's thinking about going to a, a Grand Prix, that's one that's super fun. High recommend seconded. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. The, uh, the any Grand Prix uh, that is in a place that starts with AUS tends to be very good. Yeah. Austria, Australia, <laughs> Not Austin. that we're biased at all. No. no definitely the three best really by miles. Cool. So, you know, meeting people and, uh, but also just dignitary people about the, the sport, you know, the Australian corporation is, uh, works so well with the riders and, and everybody when we go down there, it's such a far, far place to go to. As you know, Phillip Island can be tough with the weather and all those kind of things. Everything that we seem to do, uh, we do it really well uh, because we have people that have been in place for many, many years and uh, it's, it's, it's super fun. 
So you come into Austin to two seater. You were there that well. You were there last year anyway. Yeah, I go there every year. But, yeah. Um, I represent. I've, I've been an ambassador for Monster for over twelve yeah, years now. So yeah. I'll be doing a lot of things for them. I, I I'm with Alpine Star or I Helmets and and those I'm, and I'm not giving any fanship for them and puck, so on. Puck, it's puck. just that. Puck. But listen, I've been with Alpine Star. Yeah. For forty three years. Hmm. Since nineteen. Uh, uh, yeah, nineteen seventy six, seventy seven. Yeah. And with their eye helmets for 33 or 34. So they're part, I'm a part of their family and, and so on. And with Michelin, I'm doing some, some special things. Even this year, I might be doing a, a course up in Sweden with them mm-hmm. uh, just after Le Mans Grand Prix oh. and before Mugello. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I'll be in Texas. But you're just as busy now yeah. as you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, I would say that sounds like more busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but more fun, more yeah. diversity of of what I get to do. So exactly. And when um, so when we go to Texas, we have uh, Moto America there, mm. and so I want to ask you about as an American rider, the state of American motorcycle racing. Because if you watch sort of various documentaries and things online about what Americans go to race. Everything's sort of channeled towards Supercross because that's where the money is. That's where you can become high profile. So you have got this lack of road races. What's your thoughts on that? And where can we find, how do we need to nurture the new talent? It's a tough one. It's a, you know, one of the best guys in the seat is Wayne Rainey at the moment, the president of the of the corporation there of Motor America and his team around him. You couldn't really do better if you were looking through the CVs of who's going to have No, yeah. and, and now with, I, I think the help of a lot of people even here in Spain have gotten up towards television uh, and, and a good channel. And so I think it's, uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's Fox Sports or whatever, but it's one of the bigger channels that's on there. Uh, and you know that's what's needed to to try to get sponsors. The problem is America is so big and everything's driven around cars and so on, and it always has been. Um, but for some reason, along the line with road racing, it kind of lost something uh, before the Motor American Signal took it over. And when it lost that, it lost a lot of sponsorship and it lost a lot of ground uh, to, to try to make that up. And uh, you know, talking to Wayne and talking to these uh, Kenny Roberts and so on, you know, the only way for me to work, and now we have a Moto2 Moto team, um, uh, USA teams in, Moto Amer- in MotoGP, and Joe Roberts is racing for it, um, is only way of trying to get somebody over here. Because, uh, as you know, there's so many Europeans, uh, Asians and everything with the Asian Cups and so on that are it's very demanding for everyone, including for Dorna, to accept and put the right keys and people in right positions. Yeah. But we do need uh, Americans. Let's hope that Joe uh, on the Calex this year can can step that up. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the rider at the moment that's racing for Yamaha and World Superbike. Um, oh, Garrett Gerloff. Yeah, Gerloff. That's it. Gerloff is another rider that's very talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to wave the American flag there. Uh, whether or not he, he can... Uh, raise it to the level he needs to be. I don't know the performance of the bike that he's on and so on, but those are always something very positive. Supercross is quite not simple, but it's no. taken years to build. No, but it, you know, they have 17 races in a row with one break. So it's a great series. It's on television. It's live. Um, one of the things that is mandatory is every rider has to sit, stand at their own stand mm. with the bikes at 5 PM and sign autographs, yeah. their own posters it's really gone t- toward the fan. 
So uh, it's a three, I think a three hour, two and a half hour, a three hour program on yeah. TV. And so you can be in the in the paddock with all the riders and see things. And then Monster Energy sponsors it. And they have always some sort of activities that are going on with a boxing ring or tie boxing or whatever. Go into the stadium, see the opening show with fireworks and so on. It's just typical American. I was going to uh, say, it's very American. Yeah, yeah, I say it's that with an love, amazing show. But, but also yeah, a smile. But, <laughs> yeah, 100%. But if you ever watch baseball or, or American football it, or it? especially basketball, always got the cameras on the kids, having the kids dance or do something fun mm-hmm. when there's commercial breaks, which there's a lot of and so on. So those are unique things about uh, you know what happens there. But whether or not we can turn that around yeah, it's yet to be seen. It's going to take a lot because they they've got their own problems on on the dirt as well. Because where they focus it on Supercross, well, they've got a lack in road racing, but also they get whipped at Motocross Nations every year. One of the things that's building, <laughs> one of the, yes, one of the things that's building quite rapidly again is dirt tracking. Mm. You know, the mile, half mile, the TT, and all of that. It's coming on strong, yeah. and and the people that took that over have have got it on TV. And you know what they've done is instead of trying to go live, they do it taped live, but every Thursday night it's on at eight o'clock. So you can dial it in like a Supercross every eight o'clock. So people put that record button and it grows. And now people are going back to dirt track racing. Well, I guess we have to wish the very best of luck to, uh, to Joe Roberts in the American racing team. We this do. Year. I think it was a pretty good test last time out in Harath. Yeah, it was. So. And they got, of course, friend of the show uh, last year, uh, our special analyst, John Hopkins, helping yes. them this year as a, as a rider coach. So, you know, it's all setting up very nicely for them, isn't it? It's the step. I mean, again, uh, when you look at the, the basis of all the teams, Japanese or Italian or uh, and so on and the people that are running them the mechanics that are working there mm. it doesn't matter if they're Italian or, or or French or whatever mechanics they've all worked for us in the past anyway even the the, the older generation mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, it's just that you need an American team that you, somebody can a rider can feel comfortable being there and doing his job yeah because you're up against a lot of fast Europeans now I bet I bet so a lot of them should well, we should we roll on to the uh, to the crucial quickfire? The crucial Kenwood. Kenwood quickfire. Yes, thank you very much to Kenwood for being our sponsor for the podcast this season. We'll be doing a quickfire every single interview, and it's going to come in a couple of formats. Have we warned him? Uh, have we warned you? No. <laughs> no. Oops. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome, Riley, to the Kenwood quickfire. Uh, so for for this episode, we're going to do a bit of word association. Uh, but in future, yeah, the fans are going to get involved. If you as say well. anything that later you think, oh no, please let us know. As you can already see, I talk too much. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but we thought you could do word association because you're quite a trustworthy candidate for that. Um, but of course, as I mentioned, uh, in the future, by the way, everybody who's watching or listening, you should be able to get involved with the Kenwood Quickfire as well. We will inform you who we're interviewing and then ask for those questions as well. And there's a, a, another format of it as well, which will be coming later in the year as well, which will be very exciting. And much like we ask a certain level of decorum with your answers now, Randy, we'd ask the same of the fans sending in any quickfire questions. Yes, exactly. Keep it clean. There's one fan who always <laughs> sends in a social media question which always says, uh, would you rather uh, fight 10 duck-sized horses? Uh, no, 10 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck or something ridiculous like that. We did have it. that before yeah. and every time still going. Still, yeah, still <laughs> ask it every time. But anyways, <laughs> let's roll on with it, shall we? Um, Right, we have the list here. I'll do one and then you do one, shall we? Okay, then. Okay. 500s. What is the first thing that pops to your mind in that sort of case? Awesome. California. Home. Kajiva. Am I making this too boring? No. No. This is how it's supposed to be. Kajiva. (laughs) 
Special time of my life. Belgium. Love of my life. <laughs> Maybe my <a> wife. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand the weather there. <laughs> well, hey, easy. It's a bit like England. It's not California or Barcelona for that matter. Uh, motocross. Spectacular. Fatherhood. Toughest job. Rossi. Extreme, I think that sound can count, you know. Yeah, I can. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> extremely, extremely awesome. I, 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 there's not enough words to say with when you say the word Rossi, 46, VR, you know, everybody knows it. It's true. Quattararo. Fun kid. Uh, super kid. Uh, Marquez. Superman. <laughs> that was a good answer. That was good. Training. Worth it. Dirt track. <sighs> Steel shoe. <laughs> Cats. Dogs. <laughs> that, that's the next one, actually. <laughs> did you see this? So, cats. <laughs> you did I love them, but not, not all of them. <laughs> I think dogs. The dogs. Play. I love them all. <laughs> uh, Assen. One of my favorites. Spa Francochon. Definitely one of the favorites. Iconic, iconic, iconic. And your your Twitter uh, Twitter name, isn't it? It is indeed, because <laughs> my name's Fran, so it's always a nice pun. Mizano. <laughs> uh, um, my last victory. 1979. Mm. Special year, you know. First year of Grand Prix. Music. Definitely a love of my life as well. Roberts. Man. Friendship. Without talking. Because <laughs> the friendship doesn't have to last. We don't talk for a year or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when I call him up, what are you doing, asshole? <laughs> that, that's Kenny saying it to me. I'm usually calling him for his birthday because it's the 31st. Well, it's we New Year's Eve. Like yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it comes also with uh, with the lifestyle of, of MotoGP as well, like traveling, being so busy with work. It's you, you see your friends once a year and then you message them monthly. It's you know, the, the other thing is, and, and, and I, I've stated this in the past, is when somebody says, who do you think is the absolute best rider and so on? Anybody who's listening to this, you take a look at any footage that you can find of, of the Houston Astronome uh, races, short track TT or, or, or Ascot TT and so on, and you watch what the guys were riding, such as Kenny and so on, and this is where it comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, to be a grand national champion, you had to do short track, uh, half mile, mile. TT meant with a jump that was in the middle yeah. of it. And of course, road racing, and yet to, to win those things. And he won it three times. But it wasn't just about that. It's what he could do with a motorcycle. And I think some of that even showed when he rode the TZ around Indy, Indy Mile the one year, a few years ago. Final word, Fran? The final word is, predictably, legend. I don't understand. What's, what's the first thing that pops to your mind when we say the word legend? Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by yeah. it. I'm, 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 I'm really, 
Again, it's it's a it's a word that's very powerful. Yeah. We and and this. to be fair for Zarko, when Zarko said, "Ah, oh, why is Randy being called, being called a, a a legend when he's never won a world championship?" Hmm. And you know, it made me made me think about that that I would never get to that status anyway. But it didn't matter to that didn't matter to me. What mattered to me is my own feelings. The status of what I had, the respect of what I had, you know, still I can walk into Honda's garage. The Japanese from older to newer still know me. Uh, uh, the people in the paddock respect and so on. And I, I just think it, it gave me a lease of another lease of a different type of life. Um, if you can call us royal royalty of Dorna, or, <laughs> you know, of MotoGP or, or Grand Prix racing. Yeah. Um, uh, it's awesome. And I would like to say the fact that you know, I raced in, in, in years that were tremendously tough, tr uh, awesome. We fought for safety uh, to the safety of what it is today uh, with the racetracks and continues to grow because of us. Um, you know, and that's the unique part about what we did. So legend, overwhelmed. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good note to finish on. Thank you, night, thank yeah. you for Kenwood to Kenwood again for sponsoring the quick fire round. Thank you, Kenwood. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Randy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank really you so much. It. I hope you invite me back. Yeah, we will. It's, it's not a year later. Yeah, exactly. I, I might not have as much hair. And, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping I still have the same amount of hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Well, thanks, Randy. Thanks and uh, the next episode of the podcast will be after the flag, after the Qatar GP. So yeah, we'll make sure you stay be tuned for that will the full debrief of the season opener, which, as we teased a little bit earlier in this episode, should be another amazing opener for the year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Listen, I, this, this, the last thing if you guys want to record this, and, and if you, if you, <laughs> Always. This, keep we're fine. The just camera guys are the ones who want to go. <laughs> three minutes, if that. <laughs> MotoGP at this moment is hard to predict. It is incredibly talented with a number of uh, riders, and those number of riders are twenty-two or twenty-three, and sometimes we have wild cards, and so on and so forth. And where I'm getting at with that is. Not everybody always finishes last. Sometimes those guys that are at the end, tail end, get to the middle, yeah. and sometimes a little bit farther because everybody has that amount of talent. What I find extremely, extremely uh, raw and incredible is that we have different height of riders, different weight of riders, different machinery with different engineers, with different ideas. And yet, after six days of testing uh, in two different countries, and we're going into this this racing season. It's a crapshoot. It is really a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be he who doesn't crash and he who gains those points every single weekend and so on. And I think it's a, in a testament to what our industry and our engineers and the riders do. Because as we talk about with Marquez, not everybody is a Mark Marquez, but there are guys that are 0.3 or 0.4 behind them in 15th place that are that close. And that's what's unique about us. So... Enjoy 2020, MotoGP fans. See you later, guys. Couldn't agree more.